we did all the electrification for the overhead on the Green Line extension uh, to Somerville. That was a pretty big project. That was huge. Yep. Well, I'd like you to do the rest of the Green Line. Because yes. It's really not that good. Well, they're going to be doing it, just so you know. The whole subway where they go, the, the branches, the D branch, all that stuff, that is all right now under design review to be upgraded. Oh, that's great. But we're going to bring it into the 20th century. 20th century, right. Not yes. 21st, 20th. <laughs> that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to Make It, Move It, Sell It. On this podcast, I talk with company leaders about how they're modernizing the business of making, moving, and selling products, and of course, having fun along the way. I'm your host, Adam Honig, the CEO of Spiro.ai. We make amazing AI software for companies in the supply chain, but we're not talking about that today. Instead, today, we're talking with the president of Mac Products, Inc., Eddie Rosnow. In case you're not familiar with Mac Products, they are a producer of products and services for the transmission, distribution, and control of electrical power. Welcome to the podcast, Eddie. Adam, it's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me today. It's awesome to have you here. Maybe, you know, just tell us a little bit more about Mac Products and this distribution and control of electrical power. It sounds pretty technical. Certainly. In many cases, it is very technical. Uh, myself, personally, I'm not a technical person by training. I started off my career in banking and uh, was an international finance major in college and thought I would be working on Wall Street for my career. But I got bored doing what I was doing at the time. And as I was getting ready to get married, my future father-in-law, who was the founder and owner of Mac Products, offered me a position to come work here at Mac. And uh, that was 34 years ago. I've been here ever since. And to go back to your question about technical, our business when I started here was very much a catalog-driven business. We had our own product line. We still do to this day. But I would say at the time I started, we were probably 80 to 85% order out of a catalog. And 15 to 20%, we manufactured and designed custom splice kits and solutions for electrical utilities. Mm -hmm. Fast forward... A number of years, and we started recognizing a change in the marketplace with a lot of our competitors moving to China or to Mexico and being much more competitive in the marketplace. And we realized that for us to really move the needle and grow our business, we needed to become more of a solutions-based manufacturer. So hence, we went out and did an aggressive hire on the engineering side to increase our technical know-how and expertise. Totally get it. Wanted to add more value. What was that like, though? Because the company came from more of a, as you said, the catalog route. Was it a big challenge to get the organization to buy into that vision? No, I think it was something that really excited people. What we recognized was we started seeing people who we were hiring anyway that were having very strong technical backgrounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of it just came naturally to the business. And then when we were approached by certain customers to say to us, well, hey, Mac, you manufacture this particular product for us, but did you ever consider manufacturing something like this? We know you have the capability. Why don't you give it a try? Lo and behold, that's what we did. 
more times than not, we were successful doing that. Gotcha. So it was really like the, the customers were kind of showing you the way to transform the business as well, but the staff was excited about it because it was probably more interesting than what they were working on previously? Yes, I would, I would certainly agree with that. I would also tell you that from working with a lot of the people from the early 90s when we were just starting to do this, there certainly was trepidation and nervousness, but we had people in the key positions who were there. They knew how to push people the right way, right. not in a bad way, but in the right way to challenge people because we understand that human beings, for the most part, want to learn. And in order to grow, you need to learn. So when you present it the right way, in a real positive light, and people understand what the goal is, for the most part, they're on board. And they want to be part of a winning organization. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Maybe you could tell the folks at home here just a little bit about some of the solutions you provide. Some of them are pretty mission critical for your customers. I'll tell you something um, that we did fairly recently. There is a project in Seattle, Washington, where the, the Seattle Department of Transportation is installing a light rail system on a floating bridge over Lake Washington. It's the first rail system of its kind in the world to be installed and operated on a floating bridge. Not the easiest thing to deal with. We were hired by our customer, the contractor, the installing contractor, to design and manufacture portions of what they call the expansion joints that sit on the bridge and support the electrical cable that runs overhead that brings power to these trains. We were given a concept. That was really all it was. And working in conjunction uh, with our staff, our engineers, and other engineers, we were able to come up with the proper solution, proper design, it's gone through testing at one of the large testing agencies, and it's waiting to be electrified and run over that floating bridge. I believe that will go into service next year in 2024. Wow. Yeah. So it was very exciting for us. I guess I don't get out there enough to know that they were building a floating bridge. That sounds super cool. The floating bridge has been there for okay. many years. They just decided to add this rail link. And I believe it's connecting Seattle to Redmond. Gotcha. You know, you definitely don't want the train getting stuck halfway out across the bridge or anything uh, like that. Yeah. No. No. So that's, that's a long way from a commodity, you know, product that you manufacture in bulk. Right. And I will tell you, we still do some commodity manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We are a niche manufacturer. So where a big part of our success over these 50 plus years has been, we do things that others can't do or don't want to do. So when we're approached with something like that and we're able to uncover the customer's pain and be able to support them and be able to deliver for them, it leads to future opportunities with those customers. And then others hear about it. It's kind of word of mouth a lot of times. So I'm sensing that part of the transformation you know, over your time at Mac Products wasn't just from catalog to custom solution. It was also customer focused, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of understanding really what the need are and getting closer to them. Do you spend a lot of time with customers yourself? I do. I'm very passionate about it. It's very important to me to visit, to travel. I'm on the road quite a bit. 
I really enjoy being with my customers, understanding what we're doing right and what we're not doing right. Because if they don't give me that feedback, we can't improve upon it. So I believe in continuous improvement, continual improvement. That's part of our ISO learning, but also as one of our fundamentals within our company is for us to be lifetime learners. And that just doesn't mean as individuals, that means as, you know, as a business overall, if we're not, we're just going to stagnate and we won't be here tomorrow. So we really have to be cognizant of that. And part of that is hearing what the customers have to say and telling you, hey, guys, this is what you're doing great, but here's where I see a need for improvement. Take it for what it's worth. You can do that or you don't have to do it, but this is what I'm seeing. And I bring that back to the staff and 80% of the time we <laughs> will make that, we'll make that change. We'll make that adjustment. 80% is a great rate for that, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. To tell me, Eddie, I see over you right now, you've got the slogan, we don't do easy. Mm -hmm. tell, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So there was one of my staff members uh, who's since retired. We, he used to joke with us all the time about how come customers don't come to us with the easy stuff? How come they always come to us just with the difficult stuff? And I picked up on that and I said, well, that's great because why do we want them just to come to us for the easy stuff? We want to do difficult. So we came up with this. We don't do easy because people come to us when it's not the easiest thing to do. They know what our capabilities are from a design standpoint, from a manufacturing standpoint, from a customer service standpoint, all the way through. And when they know it's difficult, they come to us and they say, hey, we need your help. What can you do? If it was easy, they could go anywhere. They could it, go right? anywhere. They, they could go yeah. to Home Depot. Yeah. yeah. Right? Do you use that with customers too? Is that part of your customer marketing? Yes. As a matter of fact, I've tried to trademark this. Okay. So I'm still working on that. I didn't, I didn't realize you could, but it's yes. good as a hashtag. Well, yeah. We, we hashtag it. We put it on our brochures. It's on the website. So that's something that is near and dear to our hearts. We tell our customers that. And when they hear it, they say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That is probably why we do a majority of our business with you. Some of our customers call that like a brand promise or something like that. Is that mm, sort of the direction? That's interesting. That like kind of the idea is that that's something that you stand for as a company. Like, you know, we, not to talk too much about Sphero, but we're kind of against CRM because we feel like it's sort of a backwards paradigm for a lot of things. And so that's a big part of our, you know, message to the market is that's kind of expired. The time for it is gone. You need something different. And sounds like a similar sort of approach that you guys are, are taking. Yeah. And I, I think it's built into our culture now because everybody sees it every morning when we have our team huddle, our leadership team meeting every morning at 830. We get together for at least a half an hour to talk about what is in front of us today or what challenges did we overcome yesterday. And everybody sees it over my shoulder. And then every time I'm on, a, I'm in one of these Teams meetings or Zooms meetings, that question comes up. What is that? A lot of the customers will say, oh, yeah, we, we get it. We know why we're doing business with you. Totally. Makes complete sense. You mentioned earlier that Mac Products is a family business at this point. How does that impact the culture of the business? Do you feel like it's, there's a difference between like family-owned business and a other kind of business? Sure. I will tell you that definitely a difference, especially now that we've got three generations here. And that is very, of course, very rare. I've got my father-in-law who started the business. 
and myself, I've been here 34 years and now my son's been here almost three years. And when he came on board, I believe that a lot of the staff felt very positive because not knowing where things might end up after I retire, which, you know, maybe I won't ever retire now that my son's in the business. Just you and LeBron James. You got it. That's right. That's right. Eddie and Henry, that's my son and LeBron and Bronny. Yep. Exactly. I would say that from what I've seen and heard from other people outside of Mac, when it comes to family businesses of people who I'm in Vistage. So all my Vistage members, they're all family businesses. Yep. It's very interesting. There a lot of them are second, third generation as well. And there's this feeling of continuity. There's a feeling of we are aggressive, but we're aggressive in a way that doesn't demean people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want results. We expect results. Uh, this is not a philanthropy. This is a for-profit business. We're all here to put money in our pockets and to enrich the lives of ourselves and our families. We all recognize that. One of the things that I was taught very early on in the business is that we are very conservative as a business from a financial standpoint. We're aggressive when it comes to selling and doing those things, but we're very conservative because we understand that it's not just our family that eats and is supported from this business. Mm. With 130 or 140 employees, you could be supporting 600 mouths. Right. Sure. And that is very important to us and is something that my father-in-law taught me early on in the business. And it's a core belief of mine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's super interesting. I, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, because it's also super interesting that the employees were kind of relieved when your son was coming into the business. in mm -hmm. a way, Because I could imagine a scenario that they were like, oh, you know, this young guy, what does he know or anything like that, too, that people might feel that way. But it sounds like it's the, completely the opposite. Yeah, I would say because with all of the businesses being sold over the last number of years and people cashing out with huge multiples and everything else, I'm sure they saw it as, oh, my God, they're going to sell the business. They're going to sell the business. This business is ripe to be sold. And you know, I get phone calls twice, three times a week. Yeah. Hey, we want to buy your business. Uh, we want to invest in your company. Well, OK, great. But. I'm here to grow the business, and that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is your father-in-law still involved in the business too? He is, yeah. Yeah, he's here every day. He's down in Florida now for a while since it's wintertime. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he but he will come back and forth. But he doesn't really get involved in the day-to-day -day runnings of the business. I update him multiple times during the day on what's going on. Hey, this is what's happening. This is where we're looking. This is what – and – that's great. We have an open line of communication and he couldn't be happier now that his grandson is here working. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Every once in a while, my son, who's in high school, is like, oh, do you think, you know, I'll be the CEO of Spiro one day? And I'm not sure our industry really works that same way, right. you know, right. but uh, yeah. it's interesting to think about. It's super. I'm jealous that you mm. get to do that. That's awesome. It's a great thing. It really is. It kind of just happened because he didn't come right out of college. He did work first in the financial services industry, but he had worked here in the factory a few summers uh, mm -hmm. while he was in high school or college. So people were familiar with him. He has a different mind than I have. He's very mechanical. He really have a, has a great grasp of that stuff, of yep. manufacturing, which I didn't have when I started here. 
So as our plant manager says to me all the time, he said, Henry has the best of both worlds. He's got your father-in-law's mechanical mind, which you don't have, and he's got your business sense. And that's really going to be great for the future of the business. Thinking about bringing people into the business, you know, and talking with a lot of people in manufacturing that getting younger people to be excited about manufacturing can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously not for your son because he was aware of it and, and everything like that. But do you find it challenging to hire younger staff? One thing we're very fortunate about is that we've got a lot of other families that uh, work here. Okay. We've had generations of other families here. So I will tell you right now, I have two fathers and sons that are working here, both in manufacturing. Yep, yep. We had a father and a daughter. The father retired and he moved back to Europe. Unfortunately, he passed away last year, but his daughter is still here. Now she's brought in her, her niece. So a lot of the way that we get people is through word of mouth. And it's clear to me when that happens that I know we are a good company to work for. Yeah. So keeping employee satisfaction high means that people are just kind of naturally bringing in. Although I have to say, you know, if, depending upon your team to have kids and grow up, sounds like a slow road on hiring sometimes. Like the lead time for that could be a while. Absolutely can. I would say that being in northern New Jersey and trying to find some key people in the manufacturing space could be challenging. Yep. So one of the ways we've approached that to combat that is to automate and add technology into the mix. So what we're seeing is that when we can add technology, that excites people to want to come work here. Yep, yep. So technology is, you know, for lack of a better word and not to be cliche, but you know, technology is the great equalizer, right? Yeah. Software is the great equalizer. If we can get people here excited to see that, hey, we're doing modern manufacturing. It's not the same old thing over and over again. This company continually invests in itself with new equipment, with personnel, whatever, whatever it takes, we're willing to do. So that investment and having people come in here and see the company kind of opens their eyes and they say, wow, I I can definitely see myself working here. Yep. So building strong employee satisfaction, offering automation and excitement on the technology side, two key ways to get people in the door. And what about, you know, expanding to other areas geographically? You guys are manufacturing everything in the U.S.? Yes, for the most part. Yeah. We do some importing of some small components, but 85 to 90 percent of our manufactured product is in the U.S. Gotcha. And then you now have the operation in North Carolina. Yes. Well. Yep. That just started uh, March 1st, and that is all manufactured in the U.S. Cool. Well, is there you know something you can highlight about some of the technology improvement you did in the factory that sure. gets people excited? Yeah. So I would say the first, our first step into, we'll call it modern manufacturing was adding cobots into our CNCs so that we could move away from having a person stand at a CNC to load and unload. That is not a value add yeah. proposition. Now, now, just in case people aren't familiar with a cobot or CNC, mm -hmm. maybe you could just tell us sure. what that is. Right. So CNC I'm not is... I don't know. You know I'm mm -hmm. just saying other people. You know? Right. The people listening yes. to the podcast. CNC is automated machining equipment, lathes and mills, 
where in the past they'd be done manually. You'd have a class A machinist standing there and actually machining everything to a print. Well, obviously, as technology changed and things expanded over the years, computer numerical control is what a CNC machine is. So we now we have a programmer who programs the part, loads mm -hmm. it to the machine, and then the machine goes ahead and does its work. You add a cobot, a co-working robot, it's an arm that loads and unloads the machine. We have capability where we've added uh, bar feeders onto the CNC lathes so that the cobot is only unloading, it's not loading. Gotcha. So that means what we can do is we could leave here at five o'clock and the machine runs all night, it runs lights out. And we come in the next morning and we've picked up two and a half times from a production standpoint without having a person do it. And we do it with multiple machines. So when we have the need to run those machines based on the orders that we get, it's very easy. They just run. We have a camera set up. So if there is an issue, let's say the machine gets jammed because of shavings of steel or copper or aluminum, whatever it is, somebody will get an alarm at night to say, hey, something happened to the machine. Mm. And if it's urgent, somebody will come down and reset it. And if not, they wait till the next morning. But we have realized an increase in our productivity because of that and our throughput. And we hope to be able to do more of that where the sales team can go out now and be more aggressive from a sales standpoint with some products that we might not have been able to compete with previously because now we have this new capability. Yeah, that's like the dream, right? To have that just happening overnight. Just come in the next day and there you are. Amazing. That's it. And then earlier this year, we added on a co-working robot. So for welding, okay, a, a welding cobot. When we do get volume with things that we have to weld, again, same thing. One of the young guys in the shop goes over, he programs it, sets it up, and lo and behold, then it just runs. And we have the jig set up properly where we can run, where we can weld six or eight or 12 up at a time. And it saves us time. It gives us consistency in the welds. And nobody's getting tired. Right, right. I mean, that's key. That over and over again. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Right, exactly. right. Now, we have other stuff that we do, welding, where the cobot can't do it. Hmm. It needs a human to do that work. So we have them not doing the repetitive stuff, and they're doing the things where they're doing piping, piping assemblies, and things of that nature where, where it's an art. So we've got the best of both worlds. We yeah. could do both. Yeah. Wow. I love it. That's so awesome. So, you know, Eddie, I'm hearing so many things that you get excited about in the business, you know, visiting with customers and spending time there, obviously the, the team and the family connection, even the automation, you're super energized by that. What would you say is the thing that gets you most excited? Uh, the thing that gets me most excited is the prospects for the future uh -huh. and my desire to grow this business dramatically putting together strategic plans, putting together sales plans, trying to upskill the workforce, both in the factory and in the office. Because as I said to you earlier, I believe in lifetime learning. That's a core belief of mine. It's one of our company fundamentals. Yep. So when somebody wants to learn a new skill, they want to learn how to do something, as long as it relates to the business, 
we will invest in those people to do those things. If somebody said to me, hey, I want to I want to learn how to become a real estate agent. Well, okay, that doesn't apply. Sorry, no, we're not going to pay for that. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, but we've had that before. We've had people actually approach us on that. And yeah, we're okay, not going to buy another building soon enough for that to pay itself back. <laughs> right. right. I understand. Right. Right. So those are the things that get me really excited because I know that we're situated in a good spot. We have good people here and the investments that we're making in equipment, in people, and in our processes are really going to change the company for the better. So, uh, Eddie, shifting gears for a minute, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you like to interact with the team. So it's very important to me to know everybody within the company. Every day that I'm here, when I'm not traveling to see a customer or go to a trade show or be with a vendor, I want to make sure that I'm engaging with the staff. So I walk around the shop. I see them every day. I talk to them, see what they're working on. And part of the thing that's really important to me is is having the right culture. And recently we engaged with a company called CultureWise. I believe their corporate name is High Performance Culture and a gentleman named David Friedman. And we implemented our fundamentals, 30 fundamentals that we have at the company. And what we do is we have a printed pamphlet that I pass around. Everybody has one of these and I hand them out to my customers whenever I'm with them. For the most part, they look at it and they say, wow, this is this is something that we should be doing. And I love this approach. The, the synthesis of it is essentially kind of documenting all of the behaviors that you think are super important and then reinforcing them in, in meetings and discussions. Is that kind of the gist? Correct. This didn't come from me. This came from the team. I have a leadership team here. We, mm-hmm. we sat with the people at CultureWise and we went through this. We voted on it. I didn't veto anything. I needed it to be from everybody. We all needed to understand that this is what we want our culture to be. This is what we want our company to be. In order for us to grow in the way that I want the business to grow, we have to define what our culture is. Hmm. And those people who don't get it or who don't want to participate, they won't be here long term. They'll fire themselves because yeah, they won't yeah. be able to keep up with what we want and they won't be able to really want to be part of this type of culture. This is really, really important. And what I did for each fundamental, there's a weekly insight. I did the first 30 weekly insights. What'll happen is when we go back and we start with week one again, somebody else from my team will do the weekly insight. So it doesn't always always come from me. What does that do look like? The person who is reading that fundamental for that week, let's Mm -hmm. say it is put your best foot forward always. Okay. Okay. They put in their own words what that fundamental means to them. And then everybody in the company reads that and they get a reminder of it every day through the Mm -hmm. app that is provided with culture-wise. Cool. What I really like about the approach is that it's very reinforcing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not just something you put on the board and nobody ever looks at again. It's like a living, breathing engagement of the the culture. Yeah. And and one thing I'll tell you just real briefly, something that happened about a year and a half ago, I got an email 
It was sent to me and my father-in-law from one of our long-term employees' sons. And he wrote a note to us and he said, hey, I don't know if you know who I am. I want to give you an understanding of my family's story. And (laughs) he said, my father and my mother came over to the U.S. during the Haitian flotilla many years ago. And had it not been for a company like Mac Products, my father wouldn't have had a job. He's been working for your company for 25 years, and I am now a doctor, and my sister is the head of procurement for one of the U.S. Army bases. Both the uh, son and daughter went through the military, and he was thanking us for taking a chance on his father and other members of the Haitian community. And had it not been for us, they don't know where they would have been. And I was so emotional about it. It spoke to me about truly what the culture of our company, our family is. And I was really proud to have that email from this gentleman, David's son. It was yeah. it was an amazing... Yeah email that he wrote to us. Wow. No, that's that's amazing. What an impact. That's awesome. Obviously, you want to have a great culture to retain employees, to attract employees, but of course, it's a virtue in its own way to have that. Correct. That's Very important. Awesome. Well, it's really exciting, Eddie, and I really, really appreciate your joining us on the podcast to tell us about it. Yeah. Adam, I thank you uh, for reaching out and asking me to join It doesn't seem like I've been here as long as I have. And I do wake up every morning very energized to get to work. Yeah, we all have headaches in our day-to-day running of the business. But at the end of the day, most days, I leave here very satisfied. Awesome. That's great. Well, to our listeners, as a reminder, you can find every episode of the Make It, Move It, Sell It podcast at spiro.ai backslash podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And I don't know, Eddie, should people give us like a thumbs up or a five-star review or something like that while I, they're listening? I believe they should. I would say five stars plus. Five. Adam, you're, you're a great host, and people should recognize that as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Eddie. Well, good having everybody on the podcast, and we look forward to speaking to you at the next episode. 